0: Okay, so the uh, the topic that I chose uh, for this uh, this slot is one of the books that I wrote. Uh, I wrote a series of books for Arts Girl called Great. It's the Great Jewish series. So, include this is one of the the books called Great Jewish Treasures. Um, I wrote I think uh, four other big ones and then a number of smaller ones. The idea behind the series was that. Um, we were going to make beautiful books about Gedaliah Yisrael, but not as you normally read about Gedaliah Yisrael from stories about them or maybe their Torah. But rather, I wanted to look at them from different angles, different perspectives. So the first book we wrote about, called Great Jewish Letters, was the letters that Gedalim wrote, either to individuals or to... Uh, uh, Klal Yisrael as a whole, and uh, introductions to their books—very interesting. Uh, you get a, a glimpse of how they were personally, uh, how they how they shared uh, their lives with people through their letters or their uh, their emotions. You got to see a human side of them, and uh, that actually started from a vad, an eight o'clock vad that I um, that I gave many many years back, and guys liked it and. So I, I went to Rabbi Zlatowicz, Al-Vishalom, the head of Arts Girl, and I suggested it as a, as, a, as a book, and he liked the idea a lot. He said, yeah, we also, for many years, we wanted to put out a book of the letters of G'day Yisrael, but we didn't have somebody to do it. So anyway, it was a good, uh, good shut-up. We made one of these books for that, and then we went on to Great Jewish Speeches, and then um, Great Jewish Wisdom. That was a smaller book. Anyway, without boring you with all the details, the fourth book, I think, in the series, was uh, this book called Great Jewish Treasures. And the idea behind it, it was put out in 2015, the idea behind it was to go and gather uh, and do a lot of detective work, which is a lot of fun, the, uh, the artifacts of G'day Israel. Yisrael. So, meaning if, uh, so I would re- literally go throughout the whole world, or at least virtually or throughout, throughout the whole world, trying to find very interesting um, pieces that were owned by Gadol Israel. It could be a, uh, a kiddush cup, it could be a, a sefer Torah, it could be um, a talus, a gartel, a Garto, a, Strymo, a different things, but not just some because the Gadalam owned these things and made it special. I was specifically looking for items and for artifacts that would tell the story about the Gadol himself. That makes any sense, so I, so um, and people told me that it couldn 't be done that there are, simply isn 't enough out there, uh, but bar HaShem, uh, we we disproved that, and uh, we have a whole book of different um, you know pictures of the different artifacts, uh, pictures of the Gedilem that were associated to the artifact, and the story behind them this behind these Judaica pieces and uh, and, uh, and the book eventually came together, and I, I thought that maybe every week we would uh, discuss one, maybe two, but probably just one artifact, show it to you, what it looks like, and then take Musser out of it. This isn't just a you know, show and tell, this is also, a, the purpose of it is to maybe get a a, a little bit of an insight into the gadol itself, each week a different gadol, and um and also, I'll tell you a little bit about the, the inside baseball, the back, uh, the back of the story like that I don't really share in the book and how uh, sometimes it was really uh, very difficult to get to the collectors or the museums or uh, however I, I, each, one, each one of these pieces were found. And, uh, and I think it might be interesting to you. I, I know that it, it was certainly interesting to me. This is my favorite book of the whole series, of all the books that like, I think there is about... Uh, eight or nine of them in the series this is definitely by far my favorite because it, it enabled me to uh, do what I like the best and that's researching these things and trying to track down something so if somebody told me that there's a certain collector that has a certain very cool piece I would try every which way to get into that collector's home or apartment or collection and, and, and take pictures of it and try to really uh, get the uh, get the whole story out of out of the piece. A lot of the stories in the book, we'll start, I guess, with the first piece in the, in the book. Um, it involves a lot of, uh, of uh, it's sort of like a treasure hunt, because if you understand the value behind these things and, uh, and how miraculous it is that they survived, I mean, if you think about, it, the first piece we're going to show you is something that dates back to the mid-eleventh century. So that's, I don't know, about eight, nine hundred years ago. And, um, and that they survived this long and that they mysteriously found their way into, uh, into different places that are really, really uh, interesting. Uh, shows the Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu enables uh, things to, uh, that are important, that are holy, uh, to, ha- to really live in, uh, in perpetuity. So the first piece is uh, something that was found in the shul that the Rambam Davindin, and the Rambam, of course, needs no introduction, the great Ramesha ben Maimon. Uh, it's impossible to uh, for you know, being yeshiva and to go to a, a semi-high-level shir without being exposed constantly to the Rambam. The Rambam says this, the Rambam said that. The Rambam was, of course, a great... Uh, a huge Tamil Chacham, he was also a, a very fine doctor. He was a, uh, the physician to the sultan of, of Egypt, which was like the highest position in the land. Imagine like, if there would be a great Godel who was the Surgeon General of the United States of America. That would be pretty cool, right? You have a, somebody that's a huge Tamil Chacham and also the Surgeon General. That's sort of what the Ramam did, although the Ramam is very misunderstood because it's, the Ramam is used a lot. A lot of times, if let's say your mom might want you to be a doctor and you say, no, it's, you know, I want to be a Talmud Chacham, she's going to say to you what? Well, the Rambam did it. Right? The Rambam was able to do it, so you should be able to do it too. So if you know the history of the Rambam, and we'll maybe get to it in another piece in this book, um, the Rambam did not want to be a doctor. The Rambam uh, really was sitting and learning his whole life. What happened was he was supported by a brother, his brother's name was David, Ribdavid, and uh, Rabdavid was a very successful businessman, a very uh, big uh, um, trader. He traded, I think, spices and other things, and, and a very fascinating story. In one of my other books, I have an actual the letter, the last letter that the Rambam uh, wrote to him and that he wrote back to the Rambam, but basically the Rambam did not want him traveling on, on a boat to a very far distant country to to you know to, to trade. He felt that it was dangerous, the seas were very rocky, he didn't feel it was a good idea, but his brother insisted, his brother put the whole fortune of the family on this boat and was intent on sailing it to wherever and trading it there and selling it for a very large profit. And after, and on this trip, it was an ill-fated trip, this, the boat actually sank and and Rabdavid drowned and his uh, and all the the whole family you know money also went down to the bottom of the sea along with him the Rambam became very depressed from this the Rambam you know loved his brother and we have letters about how you know he was literally in bed i think for 6 months after his brother died that's how close closely attached he was to him and um Anyway, so the Rambam, because he needed a parnassa at that point, he was no longer able to support to be supported by his brother. Then he decided to to become a doctor. Also, medical school then was not, did not involve ten years of, uh, of 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 giving up your life and you know doing crazy hours, or whatever. I think it probably involved like reading a few medical textbooks and uh, you know I don't know I don't know if there was like an officially you know, an MD program or something. You gotta, I don't know how it worked back then. But anyway, the Rambam clearly was a great doctor if he get, came to the attention of the Sultan of, of Egypt. But he was not a doctor. It's not like that was his lifelong dream, that in his yearbook it said, you know, you know that his, his dream is to become a physician. He did it sort of as a, uh, uh, because he needed a parnassa and he actually, like everything else he did, he became great at it. In any event, the Rambam davened in a shul called the Ben Ezra Synagogue, this was in old Cairo, Egypt. And um, there's another reason why this particular shul, which is still in existence in Cairo, is so famous. Anyone know what makes this shul so famous? The Shemes? Very good, whoa. Very good, excellent. Um, There was something called the Cairo Geniza. The Cairo Geniza, and there's like, sort of like an image of it here, if you could see. Um, it, there, was a, there was like a little attic in the shul, in the Ezra Sinash. You go up to the women's section. There was sort of like a hole in the wall, a door maybe in the wall. And they went in there and they discovered that there was a very old Geniza, a place that you would put, like you said, all the shemas, All You know, today, let's say, you throw out all your shamus. Uh, you know, you go downstairs by the base there's like a little garbage pail or something. You put whatever Seamus you have. Now, let's say uh, it wasn't your, you know, your kid's parser sheets, like I tend to use the Seamus down here for. I hope that's okay. Uh, it wasn't, you know, your Rebbe's, uh, you know, handouts that you put in Seamus. Let's say you had Seamus that was filled with thousands and thousands of, of letters that the Rambam wrote, letters that Rav Hai Gawin wrote, like, like tremendous, uh, from Rishinim. Uh And not, some of them aren't even known Rishinim, but just people that lived at the time, different contracts that were written, and everything was dumped in this shame, and no one looked at it for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it was discovered by uh, people that went, uh, for some reason they, they heard about this Geniza, and they went, a man by the name of uh, uh, Solomon Schefter, who was uh, one of the heads of the, uh, the conservative movement in America, he was, uh, there's a lot of Solomon Schefter schools uh, around the country. So he was a famous, famous, uh, he was like known to be the one to sort of discover it. And, uh, and he spent a lot of time in the shul, in this very dusty attic of the shul. And he understood that what he had was the greatest Jewish treasure find Possibly of all times, because here you have like sort of um, preserved the most important documents that were imagine you know if you'd stumble on a you came into an attic and there was like a hundred Mona Lisas or there was a hundred uh, you know Rembrandts or something, and you knew that each painting was was worth millions and millions of dollars that's what he sort of stumbled on you know you can't. You can't buy a Rambam, uh, a manuscript from the Rambam. Every, every scrap that the Rambam wrote is priceless. And every, all the other uh, things from the time of the Ga'inim, all this was stored in this room. He actually, and I don't even know how ethical it was, he sort of like, you know, the, the, the way that he, he, um, he was able to smuggle it out, because I mean, this is really the property of that shul, technically. You can't just get it out. I don't know, he told basically, the shul said, you know, take whatever you want, and, you know, and, and, and that's it, whatever, I don't know if you offered money for it, so he said to himself, you know what, I want everything. So he basically packed up everything, and then a lot of it is held in a lot of museums. They divided it all, all up, so a lot of it, I think, is in Oxford University, some of it in Cambridge, uh, and, and the Jewish Museum, the JTS, each of them got like a little piece of it, uh, some more than others, and then uh, and some of it made it into private hands. But that was basically the Karaginiza. That's why this shul is very, very famous. But that's not what I really uh, wanted to, to showcase in this, uh, in this um, spread. There is somebody by the name of Dr. Barry Ragone, who I actually spoke to on the phone. He's a dentist from Miami Beach. Okay, and he, uh, not a from guy, is uh, a nice guy. I had him, I spoke to him for quite a while. He used to like going to collect things in, in auction houses. So, you know, some people like that as a hobby. They just go, there are these auction houses that you can go to in Florida. He went to a place in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, and he saw, you know, normally maybe they sell an old rocking chair, it's like an old flea market type of thing, you know, you, you could bid on it, you could offer the guy money, you buy it, it's just very, very people, you know, give stuff in to be sold, and you could buy it, and you could trade it, whatever. So he noticed that there was this old wooden panel, um, it looked old, he saw that there was some Jewish writing on it, that much he did know, and it was carved of Persian walnut wood, and there were traces of. Paint and gold indicate that they were once enhanced with rich color. So, if you could see, this is—it's not two pieces. It's—it's it's the back and the front of the same door. Can everybody see that? So, and it says on the fr- on the top of it, it says on one side it says "Recha Shemish and on the other side it says "Pischuli Shari Tzedek." Anyway, he. So the author. So so, this dentist, Dr. Barragon told me that although he wasn't certain exactly what it was, the piece sparked something in me. It overtook me. I felt, I felt it before I knew it. So he was prepared to pay a lot of money. He didn't know what this was. He was prepared to pay a lot of money for it. Um, and the dentist was very happy with his winning bid of $37.50. Now... Then he spent many years of his life researching and it. He just, he just took it home, 37 bucks, why not? He did research and he spoke to a lot of professionals, a lot of experts in the field of Judaica. And they all, or some of them, you know, thought that it was something very valuable. And then he realized eventually that it, this door panel was actually from the great shul in old Cairo. That shul that housed the, the Cairo Geniza the Arun HaKodesh had a door, and in the door there was like this wood panel. One of the, A part of the Arun HaKodesh of this great jewel was this panel that happened to make itself down, nobody knows how, to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Maybe he wanted a vacation or something, I don't know, but like it needed to get away, and it made itself down there. Um, and, and that's basically, he realized that it was a, a great Jewish artifact. In the year 2000, the door was jointly acquired for a king's ransom. It went for many hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was bought by two library, by two big museums. I think um, one of them, I think, is Y.U. Y.U. has a museum. They, they, uh, they bought half of it. And the other one... I think, was the uh, the Israel Museum, if I'm not mistaken, which is also like, that's probably the largest museum in the world. Together, a lot of times, museums do that. They don't want to pay for it all alone, so they split it up, and half the time it's, you know, it's in one museum, the other half the time it's in another museum, and, and he made a lot of money on it. And he told me that the door itself started him on a journey that changed his life. I don't know, maybe it made him a little bit more from... He was having... And the money that that he got for the door, which was a lot of money, he said it enabled him to weather a perfect storm of crisis, illness, and personal loss. He was going through like a terrible time in his life. He didn't really get into detail with me, but he described like it was everything was like crashing in on him at that point in life. I think I don't know exactly what it is, but he had terrible, terrible personal uh, crisis, and he revealed to me that in retrospect. I didn't discover the door, it discovered me. Which means that, you know, the door just happened to discover him when he needed it. Ashgacha had it that when he needed that money and he needed that, you know, he needed that money very badly, he was able to sell the door and was able to, uh, uh, you know, to to be there for him when he needed it. But more importantly, it it created an entire... um, new journey of his life. Like he was able to rediscover a lot of his heritage because of the door. He became you know, very consumed by what it is, where it is, the history and the Rambam and all of that really enriched his life, not just money-wise, but also just historically. And, um, and I, I found that it's, uh, it was a very fascinating, uh, fascinating story um, about this, uh, this, particular, this particular piece. Uh, all right that is uh, that's one piece that I wanted to share with you. Let's see if we have a, we have a few more minutes. Let me, let's go to a, let's go a little fast forward uh, to another fascinating story. This is a uh, a story about Rybakov Kamenetsky. Yaakov Kamenetsky was one of the Gadalim in America and I was growing up as a as a a young boy, a young man. Uh, he was, like him, or Mesha Feinstein, or R- Ruderman, like those were basically the great gedalim of America, and, and plus others. Uh, he was known for his truth. Rabbi Yaakov was known for his impeccable truth. He never wanted to lie, never did lie. Everything he did was always through that prism of truth. In fact, the name of his safer on Chumash is Emes Yaakov, the truth to Yaakov. Yaakov is his name, and truth to Yaakov, like we say on Shabbos by Mincha, Titein Emes This, for a while, before he came to America, after he left the, Europe, um, he was a Rub in Toronto. Anyone from Toronto here? So, in Toronto, he, uh, among his other responsibilities in the Shul, he gave a shear on the Rambam to Baal Batm. Anyone that wanted to come to a shear, he gave like a weekly shear, let's say, on the Rambam, the Rambam that we just discussed. So after he gave the shear for a while, his class wanted to, uh, uh, to, to thank him and present him with a gift for all the extra time that he gave by giving the shear. So what they did was, they did something very nice. They went to a silver store, and they had engraved a beautiful, nice bacher, and I took these pictures myself. It's, it's found by his daughter-in-law's house in Brooklyn. Uh, it basically says a gift in Hebrew, a gift to our Rabbi Rebbe Yaakov Kamenetsky, and on the top it says that um, that it was uh, in in Toronto, Canada, Cholamayed Pesach in the year. That was when it was presented to him, and then they gave it to him at a you know at one of the shiurim that he gave. They pulled it out and they gave it to him, and he was so happy for it. So one day. Um, one of the Balabatim in Heshul saw Rabbi Yaakov holding the cup in the street and walking into the local pawn shop. What's a pawn shop? A pawn shop is, let's say, you know, I have a watch and I need to make some extra money or I don't like it so much. I go into the pawn shop and I ask them, what, you know, what's this watch worth? And they, you know, they, they appraise it and they says it's worth uh, $500. Okay, you know, I'd like to sell it. They give you five dollars cash, and that's basically what they do. And they make money, you know, with the spread that, uh, the difference between what it's really worth and, and what they agreed to pay me for it. And Bianca Manetsky is seen walking into this store um, to sell, uh, seemingly to sell the Becher. What else are you doing walking into a pawn shop? So, and, and he had the bad luck, I guess, of Yaakov being, but it was good luck for us, he had the bad luck of being seen by one of the Balabatim doing that. Now, that's not such a good thing for job security. You know, if your Balabatim see you, like, you know, trying to uh, hawk you know, to, to pawn your, 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 uh, the thing that they just spent a lot of time and money buying for you, that's never a good idea. So, and so this balabas that spotted him going into the store came back to the Shearer and they had a meeting and they said, listen, it's not good. We saw our rabbi, you know, he went into a store, he probably wants to sell it. It's not nice. We went to. you know, if he needs extra money, we could talk about giving him a raise. But like, what's, how could he go and sell something that, you know, we gave to him? Anyway, they decided that they were going to confront him about it. And uh, they had the guy that saw him, he's the one that's going to go and confront him. So, uh, I don't know, he found like, I guess, uh, a way to, I don't know how you segue that, into a conversation, but basically uh, they said, Rabbi, you know, um, I don't know how to say this to you, but we saw, uh, you know, I saw you going into the local pawn shop with a becher, Uh, what's the story? You know, we really, uh, you know, if you didn't like the becher, we could have maybe uh, melted it down or something for you, but like, what? So he says, no, 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 I I love the becher. Yeah, so why did you go to a pawn shop with it? So he says, because uh, I wanted to find out how much it was worth, which didn't really, you know sounds so great either. Like, what do you care what it's worth? We gave it to you as a present. Don't look a gift gift horse in the mouth. So he says, um, no, no, he says, you don't understand. He says, this that you gave me the becher, it's a gift. You gave it to me as a gift. He says, as far as Canadian law is concerned, you have to pay taxes. You have to declare any gift as income. Not only do you have to, you know, not only the money that you make uh, for your job, for your business, whatever is is taxable. But technically, I don't know if anyone in the universe does this. But technically, every time you get a gift, if somebody you know gives you a watch, if somebody gives you a becher, if somebody gives you a you know a computer, whatever, you have to technically, um, you know, tell the government about it and uh, and say, listen, I got this as a gift. My the laptop that my grandmother bought me was worth twelve hundred dollars, and and uh, and declare it as income. It's taxable income. He says, "I wanted to know how much the becher was valued at, was appraised at, so that I could write it on my taxes that I received, you know, whatever it was this kach amount of money in uh, in income." And uh, and that was ba- that's basically the end of the story, which is a remarkable re- story. I told this story. I showed this to Rav Aaron Shafter, Marash Shasheva, who is Rashiva of Chaim Berlin. Live and be well. And he went crazy over the story. He says, I argue with him, he says in Yiddish. Like, I, I disagree. Like, the, you don't have to do that. That's, you know, like, in other words, like, who does that? That's not, the government doesn't expect you to do that. That's not, it's not you know, that's not something that is, uh, no- but Rabbi Yakov Kamenetsky was a, was a truthful man of pure truth. And everything that he did was, ha- had to be done with the, to the nth degree of, uh, of ethics and morality and truth. To the degree that you know that this that even a becher that he received whatever it was worth, that too he had to report to there. Nobody, I'm sure, the head of the IRS himself, you know, does not report gifts to you know that that, that he received. It's just not. Yeah, maybe it's on the books. So you have to do it, but you know, who in the world thinks even to do that? Let alone does it. But that's a, It's a remarkable story. It's something that uh, that I feel uh, you know really. That's that's like a. This is a perfect. Um, piece for my book because that's what I was trying I think, you know, let's say it would be just for Yav Khamnetsky's cup but it had nothing to do with Yav Khamnetsky because he happened to make Kiddush over it not interesting, like who cares, I mean it's interesting maybe if you, you know, but this is really, I'm using the piece as like a show and tell to bring out the, the greatness of the godel that owned it so, and we'll see him next Monday and beyond we'll, we'll go through one or two pieces every week and we'll learn a lot about the gadol themselves, the mitzvahs, Hashem through uh, through the prism of, uh, of of the items that they owned, and uh, and I hope that'll be a fascinating journey for us all.